Um, uh, now, y'all, you're going to really have to email or text questions on this session, okay? Because uh, we get, we got to fill some time, and it would be actually helpful to have questions. Um, so remember, you and they're confidential. In fact, Chris, if you remember, I want to know about that app so that I can use that at other times or remind me to send, connect me with that. I also want to remind you, if you are at all interested in a book, if you have cash, I have change, you can also, if you go on your phone to daymarkcounseling.com and go to the menu, there's a donate tab, and you can just pay $15 and take a book, okay? I can also do it on my phone if you don't want to do that, okay? If you want one. All right. So, um, the hardest thing about talking about sex is our culture has an, a very over-masculinized masculine view of sex. And we are so kind of owned by our culture, it's really, really hard to make the shift and to think about sex biblically. Um, so I'm going to start with just trying to understand, help us understand the design of sex and kind of undo some of what our cultural culture teaches, and then we'll talk about how do we move towards a more life-giving sexual relationship. <clears throat> so if you turn to page 11, at the top of that page I say this, marital sexuality involves relational sex, which is undeserved kindness or playfulness, and genital sex. Okay, so here's what I'm saying. When God said, I made them male and female, all right, there's actually a shape to a man's soul and a woman's soul. When I was studying under Larry Crabb, he said, I believe the way a man is made to relate and the way a woman is made to relate is reflective of how they actually have make love in the bedroom, okay? A man, in essence, uh, enters a woman tenderly but erect with some strength, and he, he leaves life in the woman, okay? So relationally, a man is trying to stay erect and tender and give life, speak and live in a way where he's nourishing the woman, okay? A woman vulnerably surrounds and supports and comes alongside, okay? Generous involvement, awe-inspired cooperation, okay? That's relational sex. That's undeserved kindness. I'm giving my love to you, wife, as a gift. Something's happened between me and the Lord where I've softened and I have more love to give you. Wife, I'm giving my appreciation, my cooperation. I'm, I'm surrounding you and birthing more in our relationship. As I take what you give and uh, surround that and nourish it, it brings life to us both, okay? So I know that's uh, hard to realize, but we have sex relationally, <laughs> okay? Now, if you think about it, all right, and you actually have good conversation where you soften and you come together, all right? It actually gives you rest. I'm assuming you've had moments and conversations where viscerally you've changed in that conversation. Now, it isn't foreplay and orgasm, but it, it impacts you in a way where physiologically there's some more rest, okay? That's relational sex. Um, so I say marital sexuality involves relational sex, undeserved kindness, playfulness. Sometimes when I hope you really experience moments 
where you're just laughing. Like when, if my wife laughs because of something I say or do, like it penetrates me so deeply because I often don't feel like I'm doing that. So when that's happening and when I see her enjoying me, it really gives me rest. It really nourishes me. That's playfulness. That's relational sex, okay? Now, genital sex are the acts of sex. Our culture teaches only the acts of sex, only way you can be sexual, okay? So, together, marital sexuality, relational sex and genital sex, is where husband and wife participate with God in creating new life and enjoying and restoring their sexuality. So think about this. Husband, as you're kind of doing the gospel and you're changing and you're better able to understand your wife, and you're understanding her better so that she trusts you, and then you speak something that really penetrates her, and she's changed by it, that's new life. That's more of Christ in both of you. It's the same way. Maybe your husband, you see him discouraged, and you come alongside him, and you just nourish him and speak life to him, and you're having to fight resentment to do that. He feels that. It goes down deep inside of him, and he stands up. That's new life. Now, we know how it happens physically. I don't, we don't need to talk about that. But like when you have sex and orgasm and, you know, I'm no doctor, but you know how it happens, right? You had the discussion with your kids, right? That's new life too, right? All right. So marital sexuality is a vulnerable act of covenant renewal where you join with your spouse in surrendering your shame and offering your hearts and bodies in grace to cover and restore each other's brokenness. I know that's a lot of words, so let me try to explain it. Y'all, I've said enough, and you've heard me talk. Like, I watched my wife sink under my seriousness, all right? This is, I'm a sophomore in high school, and it's a school night, and it's Halloween. So my buddies come over because there's a Halloween party, but it's on a school night. And I actually hear them pull up, and I look out the window, and I see them discussing as they walk through the house, like, do you really think Gord will go out on a school night? Well, should we have come and do this? Well, you know, So they come to the door, and honestly, with a lot of self-righteousness and disdain, I was like, you guys know I'm going somewhere. I don't have time to go to a party on a school night. I wish they had said, listen, we're going to tie you. Either you get in the car or we're tying you up, and you're coming to the party with us because you're too serious and you're too uptight, and you need to learn to relax. I didn't know how to enjoy myself, and I didn't know how to let others enjoy me. And watching my wife sink under that was really painful because I knew what she wanted. As we were resurrected, as we, saw, as we began to come together, and I saw my wife enjoying me, and she wanted to touch me and be kind to me and make love to me, do you see how that covered my shame? All right? It's not just a physical act. The best you can have sex when you're newly married is like this. Not all of you is making contact. And sometimes it's a little bit easier early on in sex. For some couples it isn't. For a lot of couples it is. But as you become exposed to each other relationally and some of your shame, like, it gets harder. And that's where you need the gospel and grace to be face-to-face -face and vulnerable. Okay? So, guys, this is why if you think about it, when you have sex outside the context of marriage, think about having... Like, if I was to have, I didn't have sex in high school, but I certainly would have known that person walked away not really nourishing me or participating with me where I saw them affirming my goodness and we moved towards something better. They would have walked away with my shame and my hope and just walking away with it, and I would have sunk down.
See, when you keep participating with someone and the gospel's working and your shame's getting covered and you're coming together, you're restored and there's more life together. Sex is, the act of sex is supposed to keep propelling us together and refreshing us so that we endure relationally and we keep coming together and then we're built up and we're restored. Does that make any sense? I hope it makes a little bit of sense, okay? So, that's what I mean when I say marital sexuality is a vulnerable act of covenant renewal where you join with your spouse in surrendering your shame and offering your hearts and bodies in grace to cover and restore each other's brokenness. Being naked with someone brings all your sin to the surface. You are completely exposed in a transcendent manner. I talked last night about how relationally you experience this exposure. Well, physically, when you get it physically, you experience that exposure. It was a real surprise to me. I was a virgin when we got married, and I actually was converted at 18. And I probably did more sexually, which wasn't a lot at 13 or 14, than I did the rest of my life till I was married. And here's the crazy thing. As we were married, as we began to participate sexually, I'm having flashbacks to when I was 13 and 14 and even when saying, that's why it's difficult. That's why it's confusing. And if you think about a whole lot of other ways we can be impacted sexually, like it just helps you see when you get in the bedroom, a lot of stuff's going to come to the surface. That takes time and gospel sensitivity to work through so that moment becomes more and more refreshing and you move from this to where you're having sex face-to-face, body-to-body, soul-to-soul. Human beings, I said it last night, are the only species who have sex face-to-face. That's the level of shame that needs to be undone so you're really seeing and making contact with all of who you are. You know, my wife has had a mastectomy, and we're a lot, um, we're a lot less of the picture of what like, good sex is supposed to be if it's just a physical act, right? We have less even there to enjoy as a physical act. And there are times, and it is not all the time, I'll talk more about this, every uh, sexual relationship in terms of physical sex has a brokenness and some ongoing pain and difficulty. But there are moments when being with my wife intimately refreshes me and speaks to me in a way that it never could have reached when we were physically a better example of what should produce good sex, okay? It's an act of the physical and the relational together, which I'm going to talk a little bit more about. Um, So I've kind of already said this, but as you endure through your spouse's weaknesses and sins and learn to offer your essence in kindness, then sexuality speaks forgiveness and healing. In the process, you are both reconciled to God. The world mocks marital genital sex because of the refreshment it promotes between married couples and how it nurtures covenant faithfulness. Let me say two things. I'll say more about this later. I really think playfulness should be a part of sexuality, okay? But I think what the world has done is it kind of tries to say sex is physical, and so then we do all this stuff to our bodies physically, or we bring all this stuff into sex, and we try to keep pushing it physically so that it becomes more beautiful. And guys, when I said last night, grace is really what makes a beautiful relationship. When you are more dependent on the Lord and saying, as we come together, our hope is that you would nourish us, then it becomes more refreshing. Then it becomes more nourishing, not by 
more physicalness and pushing those things, okay? But the world does that, and I think it mocks the beauty of two people who are suffering together, softening and growing together, and mutually refreshing one another in the act of genital sex, all right? Remember questions, okay? All right. Um, so... Um, that's, this is why these acts are sacred and reserved for marriage. The vulnerability, pleasure, and power to promote covenant faithfulness of genital sex in marriage makes it sacred. It is set apart for the place it plays in promoting covenant faithfulness. So, what I want you to think, the image I used, I think the world would say genital sex is supposed to be of Disney World, Okay. And I really believe what it's supposed to do is to provide some nourishment where you continue to move ahead together. Now, in these differences between relational sex and physical sex, now this is an overgeneralization and every couple's different, but in general, if we're talking genital sex, physical sex, in general, men have one posture towards that. I would like it, okay? In general, women have three postures. I would like it. I would like it enough to give you a gift. No, I don't want to do it, okay? Now, let's switch to relational sex. In general, women have one posture towards relational sex. I would like it. In general, men have three postures. I would like it. I would like it enough to give you a gift. No, I need to zone out on ESPN tonight, okay? So think about that. And what's tricky is letting each other, and this is part of the differentiation, grow into all three postures. When we had young kids, and I saw my wife tired under young kids, I began to realize how much more sex was requiring of her. So I said to her, you could say no. She did, and then I got upset. <laughs> and I was like, no, I, I really mean you can say no, but my flesh will not allow me to catch up with that, okay? And it took us months of practicing at that for her to say no and for me to honor it. Okay? Now, I would honor it, but I would pout a little bit. I'm sorry, okay? I had to grow into that. But, God, it's no different. What if the husband says, no, I, I don't want to go out tonight, or no, I don't want to hang out and watch TV or whatever it is? Can you honor that, wives? That's the differentiation. Now, the middle posture, it's crazy how self-righteous we can be. Because I, I, I work with these husbands who have one posture towards general sex. They would like it. But if my wife ain't really into it, I don't want it. And I'm like, dude, if she wants to give you a gift, take it. It's called grace, all right? And, and research shows us oftentimes in the act of sex, women do come more alive and connect with it. Not all the time, but a lot of times. And then it becomes more beautiful because a man often does become a little bit more alive. And he does experience love in a way where he even may say or rest in a way that brings them together. So it's good to take that gift. But it's the same thing, wives, if your husband wants to talk with you or go out and he's not really into it, don't, like, forget it, I don't want it. Like, you need to really be into it and really be paying attention and really answering good questions or we're not going out. Do you see how you have to, okay? Now, if you both want general sex, enjoy it, and you both want relational sex, enjoy it, but I think you've got to work through these postures to come together, all right? All right, let's move down. All right. Uh, I say how we're going to move towards better, mutually life-giving sexuality is to understand its design. That's what I've talked about. Now, next, plan for ongoing sexual impediments. This is a verse from Song of Songs. Catch the foxes for us. 
the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, for our vineyards are in bloom. Who are these foxes? What do they represent? Most likely, the specific reference to this metaphor is intended to be vague and ambiguous. Or to put it more positively, the foxes stand for anything or anyone who threatens the harmony and well-being of the vineyard garden. To preserve sexual joy, one must have the perseverance of a gardener who daily weeds her garden and the wisdom of the serpent, thereby out foxing the foxes and protecting her hard-earned grapes. Now listen, when you're, when you're wanting to have sex, and, I, and I'm assuming you've all experienced this, and maybe you're wanting to move towards it, or you're, it's a time where you want to have it, things get in the way, natural things, things that we can't control, all right? And it's easy, especially if you're the one who wants more general sex, for you to think none of these reasons are valid, okay? And you have to pay attention to our real reasons the sexual relationship will fluctuate. So I've named some there, okay? Unresolved conflicts. I would say, and again, this is where I was, I think, <laughs> falsely masculine. Earlier in our marriage, I think I was so overwhelmed, and part of it's where I came from, and I wanted everything to be unresolved for us to be able to have sex. And, like, <laughs> I was doing premarital with this couple one time, and they asked me, like, you know, if... if you could go back again. I had been married about 10 or 12 years. Like, what would you do different? And I think they wanted to hear some big, wise answer. And I say, I actually would have had more sex. Because my wife was wanting to, and I was all wrapped up in my mind, all right? And that was, I, things were unresolved. They were going to be unresolved for a while. I came from so much pain, it was hard for me to live in some of what was unresolved. And really, sex in those moments would have brought us together more than I realized. So I should have done it more. But that was getting in the way, okay? So... I have other things, hormonal changes, physical tiredness, sickness, interruption from children. I forgot to use this example when I talked about how men and women compartmentalize and don't compartmentalize. Where I really first saw that is after we had kids, my wife felt like they were kind of in the room with us, like they were in the room asleep. And I was like, sweetie, they're asleep, but it never felt that way to her, okay? So if we got away, it helped us in our sexuality a little bit, okay? Because that helped her compartmentalize, all right? All right. Uh, pregnancy, boredom, spectra spectatoring, that means you're really watching, you're not participating. The simple thing I want you to think is, and this is what I think it means in the scriptures when it says you're not to, like, refrain from sex. What it means is you actually have to be thoughtful about it and maybe plan for it and that plan for it might even be like, uh, like reducing your life so it's not so stressful so that you both feel present to do it. Like there's a lot of different ways you can be more thoughtful about nurturing your sexual relationship. And a lot of things get in the way and it's easy to interpret that's because someone doesn't care. I don't think that's true. So you could look on that list and try to think through some of those things and plan in a way to nurture your relationship. Okay, so the next thing, move toward mutuality, regularity, and spontaneity, playfulness. This is um, Eugene Peterson. He says this, sec he, this is a paraphrase of 1 Corinthians 7. Sexual drives are strong, but marriage is strong enough to contain them. 
and provide for a balanced and fulfilling sexual life in a world of sexual disorder. The marriage bed must be a place of mutuality. The husband seeking to satisfy his wife, the wife seeking to satisfy her husband. Marriage is not a place to stand up for your rights. Marriage is a decision to serve the other, whether in bed or not. Now really what he's saying is what we've talked about, that is you're softening, that helps the sexual relationship. But I want you to think more softening together helps the mutuality. Because I counsel in Alabama, I will have some people who maybe are not as thoughtful as y'all here, maybe some of you are in this category, but I might have a good old boy that they've got four kids and they're having sex three times a week and it's not enough for him. And he comes in and he wants me to tell his wife to have more sex with him. I'm kind of in an awkward position at this point, right? And so I kind of have to explain to him what I just explained to you. And he looks at me and like, dude, you got a problem, okay? Because what I'm trying to tell him is you want sex too much. And that's where you're getting all your relational needs met. And dude, you've got to learn to soften so that you don't want sex as much. <laughs> and actually, as you soften and your wife feels more with you, she's going to want sex more. And that's a solution that's going to take a couple years, okay? He doesn't want to hear that, okay? But as that happened, that increases the mutuality. Now, I really do think, now I'm not probably a good teacher. I, I've, I'll teach on sex. I'm probably maybe not the best teacher because I really do think it can be a little bit more playful and fun than how it would come across. So one time I'm talking about sex in a Sunday school class, and some guy raises his hand, and I so appreciate this question. He says, so are you saying a quickie's out of it? All right? Come on, it's a, it's a little fun here, right? And I said, no, not at all. Like, where you're growing together, that should really be part of it. Like, it should be fun and playful. And creativity, guys, it's so central. It's so central to being a believer. It's the first thing we see God doing. Now, being creative doesn't mean you're an artist. It means maybe you go to a different restaurant. Maybe you have sex in a different place, okay? I remember this night, again, it was when we had young kids. I'm trying to plan for our sexuality. And I knew it helped my wife to get out of the house. And I think something happened with the babysitter, and we got into an argument. She didn't even know where we were going. And um, we were going to a place that was outside of our house um, that I had arranged for that she didn't know of. And I had, like, wine and cheese, and I had... And so, like, we kind of got in a fight, and then she was there, and she saw the thoughtfulness and the creativity, and she just softened, and we entered into the evening together, okay? So playfulness, fun, spontaneity is hard, and it, it is really hard after you've been married for a while. So that's where, again, I think having, and I know this would maybe be scary to, I mean, I already think it's scary to talk about your marriage with other people. I think people have an even harder time talking about their sexuality, but that's where you might like listen to what other people do or where they do it and get some ideas to help your creativity, okay? All right? Now, I've noticed where my wife and I have grown together, like on some level, and I'm going to talk about this in a second, um, we don't have to be as playful and creative. I'll talk about that in a second. Let me just make sure. Um, all right. Let me just read this quote. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Um, Authentic marital sexuality is best achieved when spouses engage each other out of mutual desire. 
There was no place for the misguided idea that the husband initiates while the wife acquiesces. Marital sexuality is to be characterized by mutual regard for the other, for oneself, and for the relationship. Now, what's weird, if, if and I'm not saying this is an example for anyone, but if you looked at kind of the trajectory of her marriage, my wife early on, because I was so nervous about our lack of connection, that I had a harder time initiating. She probably initiated more. Then we moved into young kids where, where she got tired, I probably initiated more. And now it's more back and forth, partly because we've moved together. And guys, your sexual relationship can be a picture of other things. So if you're in a place where it's consistently one person initiating the other not, I think there's gotta be some work on the relational part so that you, then you're coming together and maybe it becomes a little bit more mutual. But that's what you're trying to aim for is some more mutuality, some more playfulness, some more creativity, all right? All right, let's move on to the next page. Remember, what you tell yourselves about your sexual encounters is often more important than what you actually experience. Sexual sin and brokenness leaves room for the drama in your mind to deceive you about the experience. Let me say two things here. First of all, in general, there's ongoing tension in the sexual relationship. Um, I think if you kind of participate in the gospel well over quite a long period of time, maybe a lot of that tension goes away. But in general, there's some ongoing tension. And I'm going to tell you why. I have a quote from C.S. Lewis there. He says this, If I find in myself desires with nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I talked about this more last night. If you were made for everything beautiful, oftentimes... We get drawn towards that and want that to happen in the act of sex together. And the world portrays that's where all the most beauty should happen. Now, no sexual experience can live up to the beauty you want. It will always fall short. And what that leaves room for is drama in your mind, okay? I'm going to go back to, remember how I talked about the young, couple, young couples out with the young kids for dinner and they have a really good time, Okay. So let's say you get into the car and someone says, did you hear so-and-so say this, where it's a kind of negative thing? And then you say, yeah, they said that. And then you get into that, and now you have forgotten that you were really refreshed and had a good time because you're moving into the negativity, okay? Now, I want you to try in your sexual relationship to mock the world. Because I believe here's what Jesus is saying. is every time, you are naked together. It is sacred and it is holy. And I believe when you are naked together, regardless of what you've done, some softening occurs. I believe the Holy Spirit meets you there. If you could keep the drama out of your mind and just stay present, you feel some softening. Whether one of you has orgasm, both of you, and as a side note, oftentimes, and I'm going to talk more about this, but a lot of times in our culture, women aren't having orgasm, and you have to learn how to help each other have orgasm and be more creative, okay? But if you just, whether one or both or whatever happens, if you just stay present, it's usually a softening experience that can refresh you and help you feel some kindness towards other, each other, if you can keep the drama out of your mind. 
But what's hard is it's going to arouse longings that it can't meet. So you have to sorrow a little bit that it's not exactly what you want it to be. In general, the guy sorrowing the physical aspect of the relationship. In general, the wife sorrowing the relational aspect. That's keeping them refreshed so that you keep moving together, okay? But the drama in your minds is often what's robbing you of the beauty that's actually there, okay? I don't have this quote. I usually do. But when they've done research, what they have found is that when a couple is feels together in all aspects of their relationship. So they feel together in their parenting. Their work for both of them is somewhat restful. They're enjoying their house. Like all areas of their relationship, they feel some rest. They would say that only 20% of that is their sexual relationship. That's not a large part, okay? Healthy couple, 20% of their sex, physical sexual relationship contributes to that health, okay? Now, when they do research on couples where all the other areas are, are not good, they say 70% of the reason it's not good is because of our sexual relationship. Do you see what evil does with your sexual relationship? He makes it a bigger thing than it actually is. I really believe it's supposed to be like a water stop on a marathon. It doesn't, you've got to keep running. It, life is still difficult, but it's supposed to refresh you so that you keep running, so that you keep going after more, okay? Ah. Um, actually, I do have that quote there. I say this. McCarthy reports that when sexuality functions well in a marriage, it's a positive, integral component contributing to 15 to 20% to the marital bond. However, when sexuality is dysfunctional and non-existent, it plays an enormously powerful role, 50 to 75% robbing the marriage of intimacy and vitality. Okay. So the... The hardest thing, I think, the basis to your sexual relationship often is what happens outside. And as you're coming together, that hopefully builds that mutuality, some of that creativity, some of that playfulness, and helps you keep enduring where it's refreshing. The final thing I want to say is, um, and hopefully just conversation today helps, it's an area you have to talk about. I don't know why, I think it's because of the spiritual warfare around it. We tend not to talk about it, okay? We tend not to think about it and even talk about what we would like or not like, what we want to do or not do, what's hard for us, what's not hard for us. Because it arouses so much, you have to work at creating a space around it where you can converse about it. But realize talking about it is foreplay, it, is it can help you soften and come together inside the bedroom, okay? I also think, in fact, if you want it, I've got um, an online site for Christian couples where it can just, it, you can go to and like, it's not like the places you might go to in town that can help you think about creativity and spontaneity and playfulness in just a more redemptive way, okay? Um, I'm not, again, I'm not like that. I can remember one client telling me about how she, she wanted to have pirate sex with her husband and she couldn't believe that he didn't respond. And I thought, I don't know what pirate sex is. It actually sounds a little bit fun, like he should have responded, okay? All right? Like, realize, even as we laugh about it, y'all, that's sensuous, that's playfulness, that's, we're resting, it's... Uh, uh, sexual relating, okay? We need to do more of that in our marriages, all right? All right. That's plenty of words, but we'll do a little Q&A.
Um, so we've got 10 minutes on this subject, or I guess any other, if, but I'd love to. Any questions yet? Yes. Good, good, good. Um, first question, and uh, you speak to the issue of when one or both spouses have experienced sexual trauma uh -huh. in their past, and what counsel, I guess especially what counsel would you give to maybe uh, a husband or a wife who has not been traumatized but is married to somebody who has been yeah. in the past yeah. and how to work through that? Yeah. You guys, what sexual trauma, I, I think it would, if anything I've said is helpful and seems even remotely biblical, then all of that's harder if there's been sexual trauma, okay? If the evil one tries to get us to turn into ourselves, okay, sexual trauma really intensifies that. So you have to be more patient and thoughtful about turning out of that and face-to-face -face having sex together. What I would want to say is it's going to require more tenderness, thoughtfulness in your sexual relating to help the person who's had sexual trauma feel rest and come alive, both really inside and outside the bedroom. In general, and this is not like, I really, I believe as much in Christian community as I do in counseling, but I would suggest you bring someone in to help with that if that's the case. But even, even if there's help early on or somewhere, like it's still going to be difficult um, moving towards that in general. Women are the ones who have experienced this sexual trauma because of that. Remember how evil wants to use our genders against one another? Well, it uses man's physicality oftentimes and the woman's vulnerability to create or commit sexual violence. So God wants to bring this back together. Oftentimes, they need help doing that. So to bring people in and to help you keep kind of moving together is probably my simplest thing. But the husband in general is going to have to be more thoughtful about relationally how to be patient and to be with. Now, I believe, and again, this will sound crazy, but if relating can feel sexual, if we're relating to someone and it can refresh us, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. All right? A worthy wife is her husband's joy and crown. A shameful wife is rottenness to his bones. A worthy wife is her husband's joy and crown. As a man loves his wife in a way where she softens and changes, it reflects back on him and lifts him up. In that situation where a man is thoughtful and coming alongside his wife and loving her, and he begins to watch her open up or change in any way, it speaks back to him about his goodness and beauty of, as a man. Let me say one last thing because I want to help you this will tie in a little bit to how perverted our culture is about sexuality. The woman's sexual organ, uh, a clitoris, its only function is to provide pleasure, okay? A man's sexual organ, a penis, has two purposes. She uses it to go to the bathroom and it provides pleasure, okay? A woman in general is made physically in a way where she can have multiple orgasms more than a husband. I really believe, I'm not saying I've experienced this, I really believe if the kingdom had come in fullness, what sex would look like is women having more orgasm and the husband enjoying that instead of him having an orgasm and just enjoying that. Now, I know that's probably really different than most of us, but that's a picture of the brokenness in our world and how if we're moving toward one another in whatever way we're moving closer to that, we could be celebrating that and enjoying that more. All right. That's great. 
Um, I'm glad that I, I got a couple of questions on this topic. There's very few venues in the church to talk about things like yeah. this, but it's a good one. Can you speak to the issue of pornography and masturbation uh, in the context of marriage? Yeah. Is there any place for it? Mm-hmm. Is, is uh, Just yeah. speak to that yeah. issue and yeah. how it can be destructive. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to say to help you enter into it, I, I think the core issue with masturbation, pornography, addiction to that is realize our longings, our desires are good, but they're broken. Okay, maybe you've heard of the book uh, Surfing for God by Michael Kuzak. Um, what, his, what he's saying is what a man is on the internet looking for pornography, he's really searching for communion with God. It's coming out in a very bad way. Because men can compartmentalize, and again, men can be outside the relationship and forget their wives easier than a wife can do that. So a man can compartmentalize, and masturbation and pornography is a man moving toward what he's made for in a context that doesn't require the sacrifice and the intimacy of marriage, and he's experiencing life that deadens him. Okay, What a man is made for is sacrificing through the futility, things I've talked about, and watching his wife change little by little in a way that affirms him, that's him sacrificing for beauty that builds him up, okay? So to me, that's the heart of that. Now, if that's, I don't believe, obviously, that pornography, masturbation is a, is a good or right thing, okay? Now, if a man is struggling with that, I think what a wife needs to know and let me say this, guys, because there's so much going on. I believe it can be bad enough that you're in a category of it's way outside of bounds and you really need to bring someone in to have help. If we're talking about a man who's doing that in a context where he's honest about it and he's getting help and he's moving ahead, that's a different environment. I can't speak to everything at once. But I think if there's any kind of level of an addiction, there's no way in general a man's going to move through that without some help, all right? So I think he's got to bring things in. And that's not just something like covenant eyes. It might start with that. But it's other people who are helping him gain the buoyancy where he can say no. Remember, flee youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteousness, faithful living, holiness. Enjoy companionship with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. A man has to learn how to say no to this, but yes, 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 and this. He has to put things in his life that are helping him say yes, where he now has the buoyancy to say no to his flesh that's leading him in directions he doesn't want to go. So I'm saying in a black and white sense, in a way, I don't think it's right. I think there's marriages where it's a part of a marriage and there's a way to think about that where you both can be moving towards something better. But a wife isn't going to rest in that situation if she doesn't know her husband's getting help that she can trust. Does that make sense? I don't think the wife's supposed to be the partner who really helps him overcome that. She's supposed to be loving him as a wife and knowing that he's getting help moving out of that. Okay? All right. hope that helps. No, that's great. Um, and it, I, I have... Uh, Lots of questions here, <laughs> and I apologize that I'm not going to be able to get to all of them. Um, I'm trying to prior- prioritize them and cluster them together. Um, uh, can you speak to both a, a wife that feels stuck in that third position of always know, yeah. and to the husband of that wife, and how they might get unstuck from that always know position? Okay, yeah. yeah. I think that gets back to 
to healthy relating. And I think it's going to have to start with the wife trying to talk about that in a way that helps her husband want to have a conversation, but the husband wanting to have a conversation. I think if the husband can simply begin to understand it from the wife's perspective and understand why she feels that, and then begins to grieve that, I think now some softening's happening and hopefully they're moving out of that a little bit. But the darkness of that position, the hardness of that position, there needs to be light brought into that. I don't think the husband can just do that alone. I certainly don't think the wife can do that alone. So there needs to be some movement ahead in grace and truth where together that no is being undone. And I think that's in both. And, and guys, I can't know how specifically that develops because a wife, if she's the one who's getting more attacked, there's things she could be doing to stand up to that that refreshes her, but the husband has to be loving her in a way that helps her do that. So my short answer, without knowing what kind of marriage we're talking about, is they have to participate together in a way where they're moving away from that no. Um, I hope that helps. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm getting a lot of questions on pornography. Yeah. And um, I just wonder if you can speak just a little bit more. We're closing in on this. Maybe this should be our final yeah. uh, question. But you speak, I think, you know, both sides. Stro- I mean, the, the rise of women using pornography is, yeah, you know, exponentially rising. And how, if you are um, the spouse of someone who is using pornography, how do you stay connected when you feel so abandoned and um, like some like they've turned their back on you yeah and, you know how, how do you what do you tell people is that stay in it and stay engaged when they feel so yeah. uh, dismissed and well again because I don't know the situation we're talking about I think pornography use and chat rooms and like I think there can be a situation where it really if it's interpreted wisely could be a situation where it's unfaithfulness and we're talking about something totally different. Um, I think what men don't understand is how women can't, like part of the reason, I wanna say two things, part of the reason women often aren't doing pornography and stuff is because they can't compartmentalize and their husbands are with them wherever they go. It makes it harder to do that. Now, our culture has become so over-masculized in our view of sex that women are getting pulled into it, okay? And seeing it more and more as a way to be sexual, just the acts, women are the ones who get that relationship and sex go together. The more they have a voice, the more they're being listened to and honored, the more sex and relationship is going to get going together well. Um, I, that, that woman in that place is gonna feel a lot of betrayal that she needs help putting words to, and I think they would need help moving together. I don't think they could do that alone. I, I mean, all the different things I've said, I hope would, can, I don't know what else to say to help a wife in that situation than what I've said. There may be uh, better things to say that's not coming to me. But. No, thanks for your honesty on that. Right. Yeah. Uh, Gordon, thank you. Thank you for, for being here with us these past two days. Um, thank you. Yeah, let's give him a round of applause. Thank you. Um, Again, um, 
Gordon is uh, available. Daymark Counseling is available. I'm sure that um, you could also help. Uh, I've got a couple questions for people about affordable counseling options mm -hmm. here more locally and in Birmingham. If anyone has any questions about that, I know yeah. you're open to that. Well, uh, there's a, a man who used to be a pastor over at Riverwood, Eric Venable, who's also a counselor on staff with Gordon, who's excellent, um, and I can help uh, get you in touch with anybody. If this has sparked something in you where like, we need some more uh, help and conversation in this way. I think that would be would be really, really great. Again, Gordon. Yeah, I'll say one thing, yeah. just in terms of both Daymark and Restore Ministries in Birmingham, we're economically sensitive. We do a sliding scale. We work with people, so that doesn't need to be an issue if that's an issue for people. Yeah, that's great. Um, again, Gordon's book is available. Are there still copies out there? Yeah, $15 yeah. in cash or online if you yeah. want to do so it. So grab a copy of that if, if, you, if you need it. Um, when I, after I pray, if I can get as many people as possible to help us break down this, uh, I'm gonna give you a little, the tablecloths, just throw them up here on the stage. We'll take care of those. Uh, 10 rows of 10 in each of the two center sections. And then there's some back sections back there. If you're a deacon, if you could kind of help uh, air traffic control that, that would be fantastic. And all the round tables go in that closet uh, back there. So as many help as you can. Uh, pat the nursery workers on the back downstairs on your way out. And uh, let me pray for us. Our Father, we again, just so glad for, for you, Lord, for what Gordon said earlier, what would we do without the gospel uh, in our lives and how it uh, shapes us and renews us and assures us that we are wanted and that we are important. Uh, God, we pray that that would be uh, something that shapes us personally, but brings us into relationship with one another and into our spouses with renewed confidence and assurance and love and kindness uh, to, uh, to tackle the problems that life surely has and will bring our way. So God, I pray for the marriages in this room. Would you protect us? God, would you protect us from the evil one that would seek to kill and destroy? God, would you renew us that we would uh, love one another well? God, we thank you for Gordon. Thanks for the gift that he has been given and has sought to give some of us to us this weekend. God, we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.